Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnertwine. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Welcome to Cutting for Sign. My name is Ron Cecil. I'm a men's coach in Portland, Oregon. Here with me with my co-host, Daniel Penner-Klein. Fine artist. Fine man, I'd also add. Fine artist. <laughs> fine. So fine. Yeah. So fine. Don't you, just, don't you just love when the emphasis is on just a slightly different... Salable. It changes everything. Don't you love <laughs> it when it happens on accident and you can't figure out why it's happening in your mouth? Like you're like... <laughs> 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 a fine uh, artist <laughs> when when i was a kid i definitely would think of words as that ted lasso thing i i'm not kidding since i was a kid oh, yeah. and i would say a word and i would just be like what a strange sound yeah it and then the word sound would get attached detached from the meaning of the word and then i would just like play around and look at this fucking sound bubble thing and just and it would be like an amazing experience. Yeah, I've I've um I haven't done that in a little while, but I remember as a child doing the same thing, getting stuck, totally getting stuck on words or getting stuck where I couldn't say the word right. Like I couldn't say sandwich for years. It was coming out of my mouth like sandwich. I could say other s words, but <laughs> some for some reason sandwich is like I'm not coming out. It's not happening yet. I think that words are uh, I've been thinking of words and typing words out phonetically more like in oh, text. Yeah. Like word would be w e r d. Yeah. And it's kind of liberating. It just feels good, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's really interesting you brought that up. I, I've been thinking about that too. That's really, whoa, weird. Man, that's the thing. That's so fun about getting to do this with you is how often we have these weird parallel experiences kind of in different arenas, but we're living these kind of parallel lives. It's been really fun. It happens a lot. It does. It happens a lot. Maybe we should like uh, account for it sometime and try to talk about it, have a little... No one would care about us, but it's it's weird. It's uncanny, it feels like, sometimes. <laughs> That's another good name for a podcast. No one cares but us. <laughs> That's what Welcome all to the No One Cares But called. Us podcast. <laughs> exactly. All podcasts. Cutting for signs, subtitle. No one cares, but... Yeah, that's right. Me. I don't even know if Ron cares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've got a friend of the podcast on here, but before we jump into that... Uh, we really thank you all for listening. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your reviews on 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 Apple Podcast. And if you'd like to continue to support us, you can jump on to any podcast um, uh, carrier that you use and click on the description of any episode. And right at the top, you can click support. And there's a few ways you can do that and uh, with your money. And that would be really helpful. We'd appreciate that. Otherwise, Daniel, welcome, man. I'm glad to see you. Good to see yourself. Episode fitty. It's happening. Fitty, fitty. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, well, go ahead. I was going to say up. we got a friend of the podcast back. Friend of the podcast. Yeah. Is that a good topic. phrase? I've heard that elsewhere, so I stole it. Friend of the show. Also a friend of ours, like truly. Jason yeah. is I, some of the most um, homey, cozy, warm moments of my life have been in his home. Really? Yeah, he yeah. has this like ranch style, crazy m-shaped i don't even know what shape it is like and his wife is a um his wife is a, a literary agent yeah. and he's an author 
And so it's, there's walls of books, yeah. you know, oh, there's sections, there's wings of books. And then there's all the books she's repped or like put out in a nice, and all the books he's written and then all their fantasy. And, and then it's one of those homes where you just, he just invites everyone in. Like he has his son stay, his adoptive son stay in there, mm. his son stay in there, um, his mother, his aunt, um, and then anybody, his brother lives there. And then anyone who's out on their luck, you know, he's got a room for, you That's know, awesome. and it's just like, it's a very warm place, big meals. Dude, he, um, he, he, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the, my book where it is now without him. Like, I, like oh, yeah. the writing group with him was, was huge in my life. Giant. Yeah. So big. His, yeah, his encouragement from his wife and, and I, you know, they we went out to lunch to um approach some agents was so good man like i it gave me incredible confidence to have those conversations and so valuable yeah. they're they're such good people really grateful for the both of them yep he's a solid dude yeah and we also don't we're going to talk to him about i think his <clears throat> we're talking to him about his anthology mm. but we've been a little bit confused so this is a little bit of a mystery you know it's like jason said jason said you know, Hey, I really want to talk to you about something. And I think it would be good for the podcast. And, you know, at first we were kind of like, I don't know if, I don't know, you know, yeah. because we've just been kind of going a direction that is, that is, um, Oh, we've been figuring it out. Yeah. But then it was just like, dude, this guy has been incredible to both yeah. of us. Let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. With yeah, him. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking. Me too. To me too. And I'm definitely going to be cutting for sign because Jason's the kind of guy I think, and you've been hinting at like every time I talk to him, I find something more about myself and yeah you know like because he's he's the kind of guy like the last time i spoke to him he wouldn't let me get off the phone without encouraging me about writing again or not again but just you know continue you know like keep at it and so anything man i want to help him i want to be there for him too and and encourage him on his journey heart of gold every time you know another thing about spending going to parties at his house is everyone breaks out into song at some point, like his 90 year old mom into this or grandma. Yeah. And then his mom and his aunt. And like the, at one time we all got, we all got drunk <laughs> and had a blast and like multiple levels of layers of yeah. food and drink. And, you know, it was so fun. Did you say his mom was there? This, oh his yeah. Drunk mom, who's also a pastor, grandma. which is thumbs up in my hand, you know, my book big time. The next morning I get up from like one of the many, you know, like body swallowing couches nooks. and, <laughs> and, uh, and within 10 minutes, we're all sitting at the Island in his rooms, in his uh, kitchen, eating and singing some Bette Midler song, Rose, the Rose. <laughs> and it was like, people were crying, That's man. So good. It was so I was just like, oh, I love this home. That's so good. That is really great. Uh, strange Bette, Mid- Bette Midler experience. I got to see Bette Midler live in New York City once. Got to? Yep. I mean, I was actually forced to go. I didn't want to go. Thank you. But it was a good show. <laughs> Turns out she's I'm a good performer. I, I know she's awesome. Yeah. I'm just giving her a little shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's bring him on. You ready? Let's do it. Jason Brick, you are author of more than 20 books and have contributed over 3,000 articles and short stories to print magazines such as Black Belt and Thrillist. All five volumes of your Random Encounters series were simultaneously top 10 in their category on Amazon in 2016. You are also host of the podcast Safest Family on the Block. 
Jason Brick, welcome to Cutting for Science. Thank you so much for having me again, gentlemen. When did you put your first article into Black mm -hmm. Belt Magazine? How old were that you? That was, I, oh, I was in my, my mid to late 30s. Uh -huh. I, uh, I sent the query in in 2009 uh -huh. and they accepted it, but it didn't actually get published until I think it was 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and, and it would have taken longer if I hadn't ended up at the same martial arts event as um, the editor of Black Belt. And he and I hung out for lunch, punched each other in the face, and then he liked me, so he 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 fast tracked my article. The reason I ask um, is because someone gave me a stack of black belt magazines in high school, mm, and I there mm. then went on and like started practicing all these moves that I really didn't have any idea what was going on, and just hurting the hell out of my friends and <clears throat> and acquaintances. That's fantastic. What were you about to say, Daniel? You're about to say something. I cut you off with my question about black belt. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I was. What are we talking about today, Jay? What's going on? Well, check this for an awesome seg segue I completely didn't plan. Yeah. Where I've got a Kickstarter coming out. Uh, launches on February 22nd. And the title is There I Was When Nothing Happened. And it's a collection of true stories from violence professionals. Uh, bouncers, bodyguards, police, military, martial artists, a couple of criminals about mm. times that they avoided violence through applying skills like evasion, uh, de-escalating language, running like hell, situational awareness. Yeah, And it's my opinion that in martial arts, the martial arts and self-defense industry spends so much time on what to do if somebody tries to punch you, what to do if somebody grabs you and tries to shove you into their car, but virtually yeah. no time on all the ways you can avoid having that happen in the first place. And so mm. what this book to me is it's, first of all, it's a collection of anecdotes that illustrate different ways that you can do that. And second, because we have people like uh, Nick Hughes, Tony Blauer, a uh, couple of people with less names, but with you know, a guy who used to be a bouncer at a biker bar, stuff like that, yeah. you got certified badasses telling, leading by example about this and sending that message mm. that even when you're good at violence – you want to avoid a fight when you can. And that message is largely yeah. missing, not only from the martial arts industry, but often in our culture in general. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I I wish I had read that book a few years ago when my wife and I were at a, a, a restaurant, outdoor seating area on a sidewalk here in town, and a guy walked by and did the old um, look over here and then do something else with the other hand. And uh, he, he used the powers of misdirection to get us to look at something. And for some reason, my spidey senses were immediately on. And I, and I felt like I know something's about to happen, but I don't know what. And, and he gave a lot of attention to our dog and a lot of like, and he was really tall. So our eyes are up high looking at his face and it was like a, maybe a spring or summer day. And when he was like cooing at our dog, like, Oh, you're so cute. And blah, blah, blah. He palmed my wife's, phone off the table oh shit and he had quite large hands and and i saw him do it i was like that's kind of impressive and then he walked by and he was about halfway down the block and morgan looked down and my brain is still not quite sure what to do at this point you know i'm like mm, what do i do wait you saw him do it or i watched didn't? him do it yeah oh and you let him wait what you let him go no I did mm. not let him go, <laughs> but I don't know if it was the right move. <laughs> mm. So my brain goes, well, shit, Ronald, you got to do something. And without really formulating a plan, I ran as fast as I could after him in flip-flops and I dive tackled him from behind, <laughs> trapping, 
strapping both arms and I, and I speared him so hard. He like whipped his head back and landed square on top of him. Um, I put all my weight on his chest. I put him in a wrist lock and had actually no control over him. Thankfully, the aggression that I gave was enough for him to say, I don't want to fight. But because I realized I really didn't have any control, because uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing, um, I was like, oh, shit, like, he could get a knife out of his pocket. He could yeah. do all kinds of things. But thankfully, um, he didn't want to fight. He said that? I don't want to fight. Yeah, yeah, he said it a few times. And I think getting speared from behind by, you know, 175-pound man was enough. But But afterwards, I was like, that was dumb. Like, we have insurance. Phones are replaceable. Like, I don't need, you know, like I kind of scraped my feet up because I had flip flops on. Like there was, there was a lot that could have gone wrong. And that was kind of a moment where I was like, I need to know what I'm doing, at least in the sense that like I could avoid that without letting my like reptilian brain decide I need to do something. And and the weird part was like no one around us did shit. Like it was really weird. It was like crowded sidewalk. Hold on, hold on. So how does the like, let's get up and dust each other off and give me my phone back. How did all that stuff work out? Like the logistics, you know, you know, there was kind of uh, a couple other factors. One was my dog was barking right at his face. Like she was in on the fight (laughs) and, and she's big enough. And at the time with her fur out, like that, she seems kind of scary too. Yeah. Oh, Goldie is like Goldie. Goldie can flip a switch. Yeah, she's got the uh, wolf gene, like not too well, far. Well, she's out of also reach. like human in a big sock puppet, dog sock <laughs> she puppet. This is like she's a muppet. There's a human in that muppet. I outfit wouldn't be surprised sure. if she was like kind of standing on one leg or you know, like 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 <laughs> doing a very eerily human movement. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's more to this story. It, yeah. So we get the phone back. He gets up. He goes away, and I'm like super adrenalized and like trying to like come down and all that stuff. And, and here's what's funny. Then that same day, I am uh, leaving my apartment building and I pull out and I see the dude sitting on the sidewalk down the block from where I live with a case of beer, drinking beer, <laughs> just sitting on the sidewalk. And I stopped and I like rolled the window down and we, we both started you laughing. Did not. We both for summer, we were just like kind of waved at each other and gave just a little chuckle That's of like, that awesome. was funny. That was, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So I, I've, I, I mm-hmm. knew in practice, like there's very little worth fighting about, but for some reason, my, my brain just like, it hijacked me, hijacked my yeah. body and, and put me into something like, like, did I need to beat a guy up over a phone? Like, no, you know, wasn't trying to God, it must have protect felt my wife's good, honor though. or something in some way. In the moment you know felt I mean? awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. Like l- feeling both <laughs> feet leave the ground as I like dive tackled around. It was it's just, great. I don't mean that because yeah. like, I'm a violent person. I just mean oh. that in just something liberating about sprinting after someone and just mm. torpedoing your body into them would just be, you know, in the mm. world of bear cubs fighting that that's really fun. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that is, that's something that a lot of people pretend isn't true, but it is. If you're on the fight and you're in a fight and you're not scared, you know, pants shooting scared, it does yeah. feel kind of good to certain people, but <laughs> the after yeah. almost sure. never feels good. And the before rarely yeah. feels good. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with one of the things I'm trying to do with the book is we have this male narrative in most cultures Mm. where it was your responsibility to go inflict physical harm on this guy because he dared to touch your personal property. And even worse, it was your wife's personal property. 
Yeah. So yeah. you have this further, you're defending your wife's honor by proxy because somebody touched her stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this narrative that that's what you're supposed to do. And you're, like you said, you're running after some total stranger who might be armed, who might be much yeah. better at violence than you. He's a criminal after totally. all. Yeah. And wham, and you hit him before you, before your frontal lobe even got involved in the conversation. Yeah, it was still sitting at the table drinking, you know, some coffee or something. Because it had the sense to drink coffee. Where did I put it? Somewhere. (laughs) Exactly right. Left it in my other pants, I guess. Right. But but there's this huge narrative about violence that that's what you're supposed to do, even though reality doesn't isn't friendly to that notion at all. Right. Had you know, things stopped there. I mean, the chances that that guy had found your house and was waiting to get was there if he had been armed it could have been very bad for you and if you had if you had hurt him then you're talking about legal charges you're talking about a civil case yeah one of the most um like best pieces mm -hmm. of advice around conflict that i ever got was from this dude right here ron and i've told this story Mm -hmm. before but he uh i probably read it in black belt magazine (laughs) like oh yeah it was something jason told me <clears throat> it was I had flipped the, the I had flipped the hell off. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Mm. I'd flipped somebody off while driving mm. for like 10 seconds. You know, I was going too slow across a bridge and I just got true. This is mm. like fifth, 10, fifth. This is more than 10 years now. And I I'm not a road rage person at all, except in this one little instance. This guy was leaning on a horn behind me when I was driving across the bridge and I was in the right lane, like just go around me. That might not be true. I might've been in the left lane. I was not doing the right thing, but he leaned on the horn and I just like stuck my hand out and gave him like a 10 second bird, (laughs) you know, which is just, I would never do that because, and I haven't since because of this. So we, we drive, uh, we get off the bridge and what happens? Boom. Stoplight. Now he's right behind me and we're stopped at the stoplight and I, he starts to get out of his car. So oh. He opens the door, gets one leg out, and in my rearview mirror, the way it was, I couldn't see his face, but he just stayed there. He just stood there. And I was like mm-hmm. looking at him, you know, heart pounding. I was kind of, yeah. you know, I didn't know it was yeah, going to happen. Probably getting adrenaline. Dude, and he was in a big time. van. Yeah. And he gets back in and everything's fine. But then I thought, well, what if he was memorizing my license plate? Can you track mm-hmm. someone down with their license? And your brain starts spinning out. And I had several months of stress, you know, here and there. Oh, gosh. Considering yeah. that. And then I was telling you mm. about it, Ron. And you go, mm. you said, be careful who you get in conflict with. Mm. And ever mm. since then, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great point. Because you don't know. It's so easy to find people these days. You follow yeah. them. You can look them up online. You get a mm. license plate, blah, blah, blah. But that's a really good example of that. That dude, you ran into him later, and thankfully, amazingly, you had this nice chuckle. It's a great story. But I think the takeaway there for me would be like a reminder of that. Just be careful you get in conflict with because people are stressed yeah. out there and they'll act out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another piece on that that really did me a lot of good in my late 20s when I was you know, still figuring stuff out, even more than I'm still figuring out stuff now, <laughs> uh, was that book by Ruiz, uh, The Four Agreements. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Right back oh, there. that's a Buddhist yeah. book. Oh no, yeah, that's no, not a, uh, that's not a Buddhist book, right? No, it comes from an an indigenous okay. um, basis, kind of. I always feel like the guy the guy read a lot of Carlos Castaneda before he wrote mm-hmm. his own book. But you know, the for 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 your listeners who haven't read it, it consists of 
four basic statements about how to be a better person. Mm, the four yeah. agreements you make with yourself in the universe. First of all, you know, be impeccable with your word. But I think the third one is take nothing personally. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, because the yeah. chances are, Daniel, you didn't actually flip off the guy in the van. You flipped off a dozen other stressors that had happened to you earlier that day, and this guy oh, was well just said. the handy motherfucker who placed the one straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, even you more know, than so, that, I think it's yeah. it's not even that day. It's just personal yeah. issues. You know, you're flipping off your own yeah. personal bullshit that you haven't worked out, and and not to minimize the inner mm-hmm. stuff that's that's wrong into being bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, but that is true, man. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that makes me sad about road rage is is <clears throat> is it's very clearly to in my observation mm-hmm. it's very clearly that you know it's very clearly mm-hmm. something that, that uh, stress mm-hmm. and anger and rage that it doesn't have a lot to do with the person who just cut you off you know but anyways yeah. that's neither here nor there continuing the yeah. four agreements um, it's, it's exactly right that, that was the entire point that you know this aggression that other people showed on us showed to us most of the time has nothing to do with us they're yeah. angry about some entirely unrelated stuff maybe even going back to their childhood yeah we just ha- yeah. we're just handy uh yeah i'll share a, a a bit of a spoiler for the book i interviewed uh stephen barnes who uh daniel knows we just uh, had him uh, on the podcast yeah oh awesome okay yeah, yeah we know steven he's Another in the front of the podcast he's in the anthology and awesome. he tells a story okay. about how a guy tries to mug him and he mm. looks the guy in the eye and says man what do you what do you need from me really Steven said that? Gosh, that's yeah. a good question. Oh, if I can, man, if I can help you right here, yeah. if I can help you now, yeah. then this this isn't a mugging. This is just two people helping each other out. And the guy so really, what do you really need said, from me. <laughs> and he really nicely right? says, Your wallet yeah. and that watch would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly laughs> Steven's right. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, fine. There you go. <laughs> you know, need a timepiece. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to find out what happened, you gotta you gotta buy the book. <laughs> but I'm yes. but uh yeah, that kind of thing where he really got to the center of that, where this mm. crime and this thing that, you know, at that point, he was a very, very experienced and successful martial artist already. Yeah. And a lot of martial artists have that mugger fantasy going on. It's like, ooh, here's my excuse to use all that shit I've been practicing for 20 years. You know, mm-hmm. but, but, Jason, can, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, continue. I, no, I got no, a question on. on that, though. All right. But yeah, he's but even with that temptation and he was able to look past that into not taking it personally and thinking, mm-hmm. okay, what's the, what's the, the best way to, to help the most humans right here, right now. So this is something that I'm really curious mm-hmm. about and it's prevalent in my life personally. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I imagine quite a few people's lives, which is <clears throat> okay. Maybe personally, I don't experience road rage, mm-hmm. but I do experience other rage in other types, mm-hmm. uh, other parts of life. And I was experiencing it and kind of letting the cat out of the bag a little bit last night it was interesting. Whoa. I just had an inner monologue and I was like, fuck it. You know, the inner monologue is going to gets to run the show for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I said all the things I wanted to say to a couple of different people and, and like, <laughs> you know, and, and inflicted violence on it, to be honest, like, and inflicted mm-hmm terrible violence on him. I just, I just was letting my imagination go, you know, but mm. attached to my, to my emotions this. And then I put mm. it down and, you know, never do anything mm. like that, you know, but I'm curious. Uh, and I hope this is a relevant uh, question to this, you know, to what you, what we're talking about here, which is why, why are there certain situations that get us so angry that even when we know that it doesn't have anything to do with us, 
we can't, and in my case, I can't separate my emotions from that person, you know, even though intellectually, I know that they are not really part of my life anymore. This doesn't really have anything to do with me. I know that say this person has a lot of wounds, you know, and in my case is a couple of women in, in my, in my past that I'm like pretty angry with, you know, and, um, and it's just like really hard to detach from that. And I, and I'm, but I know that it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not right. It doesn't really have anything to do with them, you know, and I'm just really curious about that. I'm curious if you've experienced that or do, and you too, Ronald, and, and what kind of what you've come up with. So I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, although I did get my degree in psychology. Um, and a lot of people nice are disclaimer. very, <laughs> right? there's a lot of, a lot of people way smarter than me have said this better, but I kind of wrapped it with a yeah. snarky bow, which is that anger is fear dressed up for Halloween. Hmm. And hmm. so if you look at the things that make you the angriest, if we can sit there and look at, okay, anger is us expressing fear. What is, what are we afraid of? Like some guys, some guys starting a road rage and it flips you off. He's in another car. We've got, oh, I'm going to go kick his ass. What, what is the fear that is motivating that anger? Are we afraid that we're not the physical specimen we had hoped we would be? And, or are we afraid that we're not living up to societal standard that if someone flips you off, we don't take no shit. We're alpha men. We got to go pound him. You know, if a girl breaks your heart is, are we angry because we've, what's the fear there? Are we angry because we are afraid we're going to die alone or that we're not lovable or that we're not enough of a a good enough partner ourselves to inspire loyalty in the people we love. And you know, like like all metaphors for existence, this is imperfect. There are times when righteous anger is just anger and is perfectly justified. For sure. Yeah. But yeah. it's a very handy metaphor and tool for me, at least, that when I find myself really angry, I step back and say, okay, so what, what's scaring me right now? Um, as mm. parents, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah, well, you can... look at that and you're so mad at your kid and you're like, oh, oh am, I, yeah. am I mad because I was scared they were going to get hurt or am I mad because I'm scared I'm a bad parent? What's going on there? Is that yeah. so, is that an is that an area that you do feel anger, and those are some of the answers that you do come up with? Oh yeah, most of the time. You know, when I'm when I'm angry <laughs> yeah. with my kids, it's usually you know I'm I'm annoyed with my kids, which is different because annoyance is a different emotion. <laughs> but when I'm really angry, when I'm really angry with them, it's almost always because they've triggered something I'm afraid of. Huh. Most yeah. of the time, it's because yeah. it's with teens, especially it's your it's coming on the heels. Yeah of them scaring you because you're worried about them. They're late or something like that. Mm. And then for the younger ones, it's often more about your own doubts as a parent. Like, Oh man, he's acting like that. What does that say about me as a dad? Yeah. It's interesting. You bring this up and that Jason, uh, this last week and my daughter turned 10 and I've been asking my kids questions lately in different ways that I can. It's and it's some kind of distillation of, have I ever said something to you in the past that still scares you? Mm. that is in the back of your mind you asked her that yeah that's an awesome Ooh. question man that's asked both my kids that like you know not mm. they're yeah i've asked them both that because i've got some moments in my in mm. my mind where my dad has said things or my you know other authority figures that you know there's a it, like a part of me is an arrested development around those fears mm. and and i've had to like confront those thoughts of whatever they have said and and kind of rejig it in my mind through different things, different ways. 
And I just thought, man, maybe I can get ahead of this with my kids. Cause I, mm-hmm. cause Jason, you know, when, but eight years ago, I was kind of peak raging. Like I had, I had an out of control anger problem and, and I blamed it on my relationship with alcohol. But mm-hmm. once I took that out of my life, realized like, oh, I'm just an asshole who doesn't have an ability to regulate his anger. Mm-hmm. And, um, dude, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get too, too into it. Um, but I would scare the shit out of my kids and bellow mm-hmm. at them mm-hmm. and rage at them. And, and I remember one time my daughter, I either heard her say this or I heard my son repeat it to me. And she must have been three or four years old, a tiny little girl. And after, you know, they didn't, I don't know why I was raging. It was like, because they weren't in bed, because they were roughhousing after, you know, when they should be asleep. Who knows? They're just normal kids. And, but after I was like yelling at them, I heard her say, uh, hold me, Luca, I'm afraid of dad. Ooh. Or I'm afraid of daddy or something. And that Whoa. still to this day, like it just evaporates me. Oh, and yeah. I brought it up with her this weekend. We were we were spending some time together before her birthday party. And I said, Do you remember that? She goes, No. And I and I just apologized again. I said, I think my anger at the time was my inability to know how to do the right thing and and frustration and fear about not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And and I really want to make sure there's nothing else I've said in your life that is keeping you afraid of me in any way. Mm. And because I like a lot of us don't escape that. It's really difficult to escape that, you know, third promise to ourselves, like of, of being unoffendable. <laughs> yeah. And do I still get offended by my kids? All, like all the time. <laughs> I drove my kids this morning to school together. We stopped for like a, a, a Friday morning mm-hmm. treat at a donut store. And we were having a discussion about some completely, completely in- mm-hmm. innocuous. Did I say that word right? Innocuous? Yeah. Innocuous. Yeah. I'll sign off on it. Okay. I appreciate it's actually innocuous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. Thanks. And, and as we were talking about something, each of their opinions about that thing where I could feel my disagreement and my like <laughs> righteous indignation starting to boil over. And I was like embarrassed with myself. I was like sitting in traffic going like, there is no fight here, Ronald. There yeah. is nothing that needs to be justified. That's a good... Just let them talk. Let them have their opinions. Yeah. That's a really good what was up too, man. Yeah. Um, who's, well... the, who's the stand-up comic? Uh, Louis C.K., who's one of his little mm-hmm. riffs is. So last night I got into an argument with my three-year-old. <laughs> now, whose fault is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you got to be careful with throwing that question out to mm-hmm. Emma, man. It's very easy to imagine her coming back a couple of days later with a little bit of list, a list put together. She's, 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 she's like, Dad, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at this point, man, I, yeah. I, I, w- I would gladly go on trial for anything, you know, man. Like, I... Yeah. I I, I think that's the gift of our our knowledge around psychology and mental mm-hmm. health and all that stuff now. Like I think as Gen Xers, which we all are, we just got through that period of time when it was like, like buck up, you little shit. Like yeah. toughen up. If there was something wrong with you, it's because you were lazy because you were – you know, all my report cards said things like, Ronnie's a good student. Mm-hmm. He'd be better if he'd stop daydreaming. Well, you know, I had ADHD. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't – I couldn't – apply enough effort and discipline into that life with a family who did not support me in any way. I remember my mom in third grade was telling, I totally forgot about this. 
until a few weeks ago. And she looks at me, she's like, I want you to be a drummer. I was like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> and instead of getting me lessons or something like that, she gets me these like 1987, 88, you know, whatever year that was, like little drumsticks that were attached to a speaker. And when you would tap them, they would like mm. make a snare sound. She gets me that. She gets me a little snare pad and a book. And she's like, <laughs> go for it. And that was it. Like as if a seven or eight year old could somehow magically learn how to drum on his own from that. Well, a and good seven or eight year old drummer. Would. Fuck yeah. off, Daniel. I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> so, yeah. Daniel, what trauma were you working through when you felt the need to lash out at Ron that way? I just, I just want to be a drummer. <laughs> and I'm not seven or eight. I don't have that experience. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's really cool to hear you talk about that, uh, Jason, and to attach fear to yeah. to anger because I've been stuck on the idea that it's hurt, and I know that it mm. could be, and that it's not black or white, and in different circumstances. You know, a friend of mine recently showed me the this like emotion wheel. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's not the right term, but essentially, it's like a color wheel, but uh, it has maybe. No, it's not like a color wheel. It's like three or four emotions at the center of a circle. And then the next concentric circle out from that breaks each one of those emotions down into like four other emotions. And then another concentric circle does the same thing to the point that on the outside circle, uh, concentric circle, you have like a hundred emotions and they all have wow. emotions that, they're yeah. that they have been yeah. tethered from. Hmm. And I thought that was really wise you know and and i'm glad that people are are starting to um myself included have more words have more words to describe more emotions and this came from uh you know oprah and brene brown did mm -hmm. do the souls soul, soul, super soul Sunday. yeah i was listening to one of those for some reason and and yeah. brene brown was talking about how most people only have 10 can describe like under 10 emotions and wow. she was talking about a circumstance where they ended up talking about like a hundred or something like that. And <clears throat> I just think that's really, that's, there's emotional intelligence, right? You're getting yeah. the lexicon. Long story short, Jay, it's meaningful to me that you're expanding this very simplistic, um, although valid idea that hurt underlies anger into it being potentially other things, frustration. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah. what you said uh, being, um, uh, sorry, what did you say? Shit, I'm just blanking right now. <laughs> it's not about hurt, fear. It's fear, yeah. you know? And it's yeah. like, that actually resonates yeah. more with me personally. Yeah. And now I can ask that question yeah. again for myself, come up with some new answers. And here's an interesting thing about hurt, right? Hmm. Hurt also only, well, hurts when it's accompanied by fear, right? Hmm. Like you get punched hmm. in the face by a mugger, that hurts like a son of a bitch. You get punched in the face sparring or roughhousing with your buddies. Yeah. I don't really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't you know? Know. Yeah. I don't know if I agree right? on that, man. It's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But, <laughs> it, it, but it has less, you know, it has less <laughs> in, impact. Like even even yeah. when you break your arm, you go to the ER, it feels better as soon as the nurse talks to you real quick. And gives you drugs. Even though they mm -hmm. haven't done any real medical interventions yet, but just you are at the ER, you're at the place that you are safe that you're now safe because you're injured, but you're at the AR, they're going to fix you. Yeah. And it hurts less immediately because yeah. of that absence of fear. 
totally. You know? That happened. I mean, um, I've got a couple mm-hmm. examples of that. I mean, sure. I mean, one was when I used to practice martial arts with Daniel, mm-hmm. and he he had a really sneaky kick that would come from my right. Must have been his left yeah, foot. Yeah, that was my move. That I could tell. I could tell when he was gonna do it, and I still couldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. And it hit me in the head every time. And and I was like mad before it happened but once it was done i was like well at least that's over with and you know there was the container of like the the gift of the practice and all that stuff and and yet i've also been in situations where like that fear because the the unknown daniel's my friend he's my teacher in this situation you know like there's all those kind of security measures safety measures or or uh comfort levels um and then other moments where i'm like oh my god you know here it comes here it comes here it comes and there's so much fear around it right at the beginning of the pandemic, my son got uh, COVID and he got mm-hmm. sick. Like this was like right before everything went to lockdown. And, uh, and he was kind of probably at, on the tail end of it. And it was causing a bunch of uh, pain in his body in different places. We went to the hospital and they um, did an x-ray and all this stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, you've got this new thing called COVID, but you're going to be okay. And the moment they kind of told him he was mm-hmm. going to be okay, he was clicking his heels. Like it, like it just lifted off of him. And he went in really afraid, like really worried about what, what it could be. We didn't know. And, and on the, you know, and as he's leaving, getting to the car that same day, he's like almost doing cartwheels. You know, he was really, really, really relieved. So I, I think there is a lot of emotional weight to the fear and unknown that can press on us in those, in those moments. What were you about to say, Daniel? Uh, a couple of things, but <clears throat> none of which are very important. That was a long time ago, first of all. And uh, <laughs> you kicked me in the head. I'm not mad at you about it. I was impressed. <laughs> no, 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 mad. no, I'm man. impressed. Uh, <clears throat> right before you came on, Jay, before we went live, Ron was fucking around and he goes, he goes, he was trying to like, he was trying to give me like hmm. coffee via a topic of conversation, like get, get the juices going, get the blood flowing. And he goes, yeah. if you were locked in a fight to the death with me, or Jason, like, which one do you think that you would, I don't know, which one would blah, blah, blah. I was like, which one would you pick? Which one, which one would you have to pick? And I was like, I was like, this is how long, long ago my martial arts career was. I was like, I know both of you would, I'm pretty sure both of you would kill me. And I think it would be really dramatic if Ron killed me because we're such close friends. But also it would probably take longer. <laughs> it takes so long. Because he would just be like, well, he'd probably spear me in the back first and like kind of freak out on top of me and <laughs> start biting biting my sprawl uh, around. I don't know, you go vampire. Yeah, yeah, is he allowed I, to I've... bring his dog? <laughs> I choose Goldie. <laughs> Goldie yes. just ripped my fucking throat out. <laughs> I offer mm-hmm. myself as tribute to Goldie. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've told this story on the podcast before, and I, I got um, I chased a guy who stole something from my business um, <laughs> years and years and years ago. Something that's theme. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's the theme. The theme was mm-hmm. I had anger issues that I did not, that were not, they're so far below the surface that they were inaccessible to me where I could address them, Mm. you know, really properly address them because I, I walked around with this nice guy persona and I walked around like pretending not to be angry because I didn't know, like I, I didn't realize how much of that, all that, how much of the freight train of my life had like you know, the front end was, was already like smashed off the rails and the, and the, and all the 200 other boxcars are finally like catching up and going off. 
And um, I chased him with my car, which was, I don't know why I'm doing that. He's on a bicycle. And, um, and he escapes, thankfully. And then that was the moment where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what is, mm-hmm. like, like, I snapped out of this rage moment. And, and I, I was, for 72 hours, I was really upset with myself. Really, really upset. Um, that weekend, I took my son, who's, who's 15 now. I think he was eight at the time. And I said, I told him what I, I told him exactly what I did. And I, and to the, because I, I wanted to show him how to, how to not be, human, <laughs> you know, like, like how it goes wrong. And I said, what do you think I should have done? He's like, well, he would have still stolen it anyway. And I was like, well, is it worth, you know, that however, whatever the cost of the thing was 15 bucks, maybe was that worth it? And he, he's sitting there. He's like, no, of course not dad. And I, and I started to imagine what could be wrong in that guy's life. What could, you know, how did he get there? Cause he was clearly a homeless person. Um, so fast forward, we get through Luke and I's camping trip. We come back to my place of work. I come back on Monday and I pull up and he's sitting outside of my building on the, on the sidewalk. And he is bigger than me. Um, he's older. He's got a leather jacket on. And I'm like, here, I like, this is when Ronald gets knifed. Like here it's happening. And he stands up and before I get out of the car, he puts his hands up like this, both hands. Two people can't see me. He goes, I am sorry. Was the first words out of his mouth and i was so like humiliated at my past actions i got out and i was like i am sorry that i did that and and i i go um and he brings me the thing that he stole he goes i he hands it to me and he goes i thought you were gonna kill me hmm. and i i couldn't you know i couldn't answer i was like i i I, I like, I just was like stammering. I said, um, what's your name? He told me his name. We shook hands. He, I said, how long have you been living on the streets? He says my entire life. He said, my mother was the son or I'm sorry. My mother was the daughter of a, a sheriff in such and such County. And she got pregnant when she was a teenager and her daddy kicked her out and we grew up in shelters. And then she died when I was a child and I skipped through foster homes and have been on the streets my entire life. And I, I had a bunch of leftover food in the car from the camping trip. Like, are you hungry? He goes, yeah. And I uh, opened up the back of my car and kind of made him breakfast. And we sat there and talked for a while. I've never seen him again, but I've, I've thought about that a lot. Like what, like, what are we carrying around? What's our story that we're carrying around in the situations that, that we veneer with violence and toughness and, and all the other ways that we project strength and, but what's really happening, you know, a lifetime of rejection, a lifetime of, of crazy fear. I can't imagine living on the streets like that. The kind of fear that must build into a person's nervous system. Man, you have incredible mm. luck. Like uh, you start chasing people more often. Very lucky. Every time you do, like the world becomes a little better place. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Lesson: yeah, Anytime you get robbed, chase that fucker down because later you're going to have a really touching moment with them of bonding. <laughs> I mean, the lucky thing mm. is, is I didn't do anything dumb mm-hmm. and end up in a worse off situation. Yeah. Right. Like that's what's lucky. It's uh, interesting you bring up uh, the, the veneer of anger. Uh, yeah. This was a, I just saw not too long ago just a throwaway meme that somebody put up on Twitter or something. 
but it, it really kind of hit me about, and what it said was the best marketing campaign that ever happened was men branding women as the most emotional gender by somehow mm. branding anger as not an emotion. Right. <laughs> We've convinced yeah. the yeah. side no that anger is not an emotion. And yeah. so we, and it's, it's for a very long time. And I, I think we're getting better than that now, but this, the, the roots are deep. Wait, what are you talking yeah. about? Anger, anger, not emotion being branded. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, so, well, so another way to put that is for many, many cultures and societies and families, Anger is the only emotion a man's allowed to exhibit in public. You're supposed to be just stolid, stoic, but you can yeah. show your anger. Yeah, and anger manly. is equated and equated with strength. Yeah, and I think we're getting over that, but those roots run very deep in our society. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hear men say that a lot. I work with guys like I'm not an emotional guy. Go ahead, David. Like it's yeah. really. <clears throat> I'm not really like, I'm not disagreeing mm -hmm. with this. I'm just curious about it because I think it's easy to say men are only allowed to be angry, but really like, are you saying that for a long time, if a man showed love toward his child in public, that that would be frowned upon? Cause that doesn't seem like that would be frowned upon. And in That's in, in puritanical United States, yeah, absolutely. You know, you had the parents who were very strict, very standoffish with their children. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, you know, the old, the more seen religious groups, heard. yeah, seen but not heard. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't say tender things to your wife in public. You might mm -hmm. say mean things to your wife in public, but at home, say nice things. It's you know, it's it's the tax, it's the toxic masculinity yeah. thing. Yeah, and it yeah. is. It's it's how we have been for a very very long time, mm -hmm. and I think we're my, getting better. Definitely, is my father-in-law. My father-in-law was telling me a story a while back of uh, his dad, who fought in World War II, um, homesteaded, went through some hard stuff, really hard stuff. Never, ever said "I love you" to him or his brother or their other kid or their other sibling. And it was on their deathbed, on his deathbed, that my father-in-law and his brother cornered their dad, <laughs> looked at him in the face, and said, "We need to hear you say." with your mouth out loud Whoa. that you love us. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a, that's an no. example of like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't love you. You've been a pain in my ass. You ruined my life. <laughs> I mean, he did, you know, thankfully he did. did he do it? Like, the, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he did. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I talk to men who say things like, um, I'm not an emotional person. And then they tell me all these rage stories. Like I just said, and yeah. I was like, well, that's obviously not true because mm -hmm. you're experiencing these things or they talk about the fear they experience or any of the other things, but it doesn't, because it may not come out or express physically, they don't think that they're emotional, but obviously, you know, to Daniel's point earlier, we can only label a few and maybe not even that if we've not been given the language, yeah. but the reality is that it is so complex, like a, mm -hmm. like a color wheel, like there, yeah. there's an infinite amount. There's a, there's a huge spectrum mm -hmm. of emotions that we're experiencing all the time that we may not be able to like identify yeah. and, it, and then it expresses as anger or fear or, or you know, running away or, or knuckle dragging yeah. it into, you know, pounding, trying to get it through violence. Yeah. And one of the best illustrations of this, of the power of this, that even still comes to is just yeah. invite you, invite your listeners and yourselves. Just think about you're on a first date with a woman you've had a crush on for a while. And she's finally said, okay, mm, that's such a good feeling During, on, on the course of that first date, 
would you rather cry in front of her or would you rather mm. win a fight in front of her? Hmm. That's a good question. It's a really good question. And for most people, the answer is, oh, hell, I'd rather win a fight or that. So my mm. instinct is to win the fight, but it's the 21st century and I'm a evolved human yeah. being. So I'm going to answer that I'd rather cry in front of her. But really, <laughs> do I, is that really what I want? You know, because that's that is how deep that stuff runs, even though we all know that if the woman if that woman is worth falling in love with, she would much rather see you cry than get in a fight. I don't <clears throat> I, I think that Ronald would you know anyone who knows me would probably be like, oh yeah, Daniel would agree with what you just said and he would want to cry. But the truth is, as I I'm not the truth, but the truth is as I've been experiencing it with women, <clears throat> is that both of those would be really, really attractive. And especially if the really, and I'm not a fight. I'm not a fighter. Yeah. I mean, do you mean? But in the, the what's the context of the fight in your mind? Well, it is would it be justice? just. It would be yeah. just a hundred percent. Okay. Versus like you losing your shit and and that would be incredibly you know. unattractive to yeah. anyone yeah. I would have interest yeah. in personally. Like, like yeah. fighting a dude over a parking space. Right? Like a yeah. totally yeah. just you've been pushed to mm. violence a hundred percent. Like Gandhi would yeah. have had to drop drop shit, you know, and go for it. Like totally <laughs> yeah. just, you know. And I, I don't know. That's that's a very attractive thing to experience. I just <laughs> there's probably people out there who'd be like, yeah. fuck that. No, it absolutely not. But I don't know. I just I'm getting more into noticing uh as as I like I like date quite a bit and as I date and and get to know people you know there's just a real attraction to egregious confidence that's almost part of emotional intelligence is I meet a lot of women who are like yeah I allow myself to be attracted to to some just borderline arrogant arrogance you know not really arrogance but borderline and I don't know. It's, it's, it, I think that there's some value there of, of confidence and, and power that, that can be easily misused or misexpressed, mm-hmm. uh, but that isn't inherently bad. Hmm. Um, so let's get back to what you're talking about, Jason, when you were, um, uh, I, I love that Daniel thinks I don't value what he said, and I'm going to just let him keep thinking it. <laughs> I know you do. I just love the transition because sometimes I fucking wonder. It's a great transition. Well done. Well got. Thanks. 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 Um, uh, the title of your of your uh, Kickstarter for the for the book again is called what? There I was when nothing happened. When nothing happened. Yeah. It was originally I, no shit. There I was when nothing happened. But um, yeah. Amazon uh just blows blows up your uh, search mojo. If yeah, you include swears in your in your titles. Oh, oh good. Oh, oh okay, yeah. okay. Is that why everyone puts the like um, the unfuck yourself? You know, there's mm-hmm. that whole like t- that. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. get into that. Um, <laughs> good self. When I heard myself nice right? when I heard that mm-hmm. um, from you, Jason, a little while ago, I was thinking about a guy I worked with in England who had been a um, he was a high, super high level martial artist, been a bouncer in the club mm-hmm. scene in England. And I was, I don't even know how we got on the topic. I was like, show me your move. Like, what's your, what's your go-to move to, uh, to, you know, to get a guy to calm down. He's like, let's do it. And he, he gets me stand up in my office at the time. I had a, an office with a door with my own little space. And he's like, come on, you know, come up to me, get my face. <clears throat> and, uh, I go, okay. And he goes, and he's like, oh, you, you, you want to fight me? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, let's go outside. So he takes me through the door. 
And he's like, thanks. And he goes through back into the door and closes it and locks it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's strong. That's really, really strong. Uh, So am I I right in saying that this is kind of that, you know, a collection of stories like that? Exactly. It's a collection of stories. It's exactly that kind of thing. And that one actually harkens back to... uh, old samurai story about the young samurai wants to fight with the old samurai and the mm. old samurai convinces him to fight on an island and then the young samurai <laughs> jumps off and does some moves and the old samurai just rows the boat back to shore <laughs> and then there's a there's a version of it in um enter the dragon as mm. well where if you yeah and go watch enter the dragon again you'll, you'll recognize yeah. it immediately uh but yeah that that's that's a classic one and the book itself is organized into five sections, uh, one on preparation, one on awareness, one on avoidance, yeah. one on de-escalation, and one on escape. And so the different the different uh, anecdotes fall into those different areas. Like mm-hmm. one of them, I was talking to Randy King from Randy King Live, who's a martial artist and a bouncer, telling about how he used to work at a bar that was the favorite of the local Hells Angels chapter mm-hmm. and the favorite of the rugby team from the local college. Uh, Good combination, a lot of testosterone. A lot of testosterone. And how uh, the the club had come in for a wake and had been drinking since 2 2 p.m. And then the rugby players start coming in. And how he he was able to diffuse that situation through nothing but his knowledge of the key players in the biker gang and biker culture to Mm. ask the right person the right question in the right way so that the bikers all just chilled out and yeah. didn't respond to the antagonism of the rugby team. Yeah. And, uh, and so wow. that that's one example where it wasn't even, it wasn't really even what he did in the moment. It was the preparation and the knowledge that he brought into the, into the situation hmm. Hmm. or, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, one about escape, there's a CIA agent I was talking to. He, he came on the show, actually, the safest family hmm. on the block to talk about a uh, trade craft for families. He carries a $5 bill around all the time. And if somebody's getting getting froggy, he'll drop it and say, oh, is that yours? Because hmm. your eyes are going to follow five bucks. Yeah. And you look down and <laughs> you'll run while yeah. his eyes are yeah, on, the, on, there. The, on the cash. You know, because I'd spend yeah. five bucks to, to avoid a fight any day. That's way less than my copay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife is in Spain right now. She's walking mm-hmm. um, the Camino de Santiago. And before she left, she did a, a, a Zoom, like a few hour Zoom call with a, a woman who teaches personal safety. Mm. And and I was expecting like her to get back from it and to hear tales of learning how to eye hook or, mm. or, you know, any of those kind of like super effective, kind of dirty, like, you know, finish, finishing moves. And I was really surprised and kind of like excited to hear it. Mm. It was so much about reading the signs that happen way before there's violence. Yeah. And she described about she described reading the cues of somebody who goes, "Oh, you look like you've got a burden, you need help with that." Mm-hmm. And then and then saying, "No." And then how often the the next thing that a person who has an intent of violence or an intent of harm or mm-hmm. control in some way often then goes from I'm going to help you to Oh, all you women are the same and like don't want to, you know, don't want help. It's like it goes from trying to be helpful to being um uh insulting. Mm-hmm. And how that is a telltale, you know, that's a tell of of someone's real intent 
And she had a lot of really subtle uh, versions of that. And I was, I was like, man, I'm so glad you listened to that. Cause my brain was not, that's not where my brain was when I was thinking about your personal safety. I was like, okay, here's your trekking pole. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, here's how we're going to weaponize everything. And here's how you're going to get your brain into violence. And I thought, oh, that's way better. <laughs> that's way yeah. better to know that stuff. Well, that's again, the that's the overall branding of safety that I think yeah. is, is really misplaced that the self-defense and safety industry and the media, the scary, scary media, right? But yeah. but in honest, honesty, our media and entertainment, they really spend the overwhelming majority of the time on self-defense in terms of hitting somebody who's trying to hit you, killing somebody who's trying to rape you, yeah. shooting somebody who's trying to shoot you, as opposed to this massive um, set of opportunities you have well before the violence happens to never, never even have to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. even something as simple as, you know, the gun the gun crowd and i'm not here to get political about where i fall on sure. the gun crowd it probably yeah. would surprise a lot of people on both sides of the spectrum but they're always talking about i'm gonna sit with my back to the door so i can take out that guy who comes in to look sketchy totally how about you sit close to the door so that when the sketchy guy comes in you can leave with your family yeah you know how about you yeah. carry cash so that if you have to leave in a hurry you don't have to wait for the credit card or do a dine and dash you know, you know my, little preparation my dad was the the kind of guy who mm -hmm. um he was a very anxious fellow. I think it was mm -hmm. because he was, you know, a victim of violence at a young age. And towards the end of his life, he was the kind of guy that had like guns stashed everywhere behind the curtain, behind the door, behind the refrigerator. You know, it was just like this. I, I haven't actually seen all the John Wick movies, but I would imagine it was something like this <laughs> where he had this like fantasy of having all this stuff accessible mm -hmm. and how he was going to shoot himself, shoot his, shoot his way out of his like single white trailer he lived in. And, and some of that carried over to me in adulthood. And I, and I, um, you know, as a young adult had a similar setup and, and then as I started a family, I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to take responsibility and, and be ready for this violence. And I had a firearm accessible to me from my bed and I heard a noise and my brain is like now going into the red zone and, and I get up without the weapon, but I get up and it turns out my son who was five at the time or four. And I thought, Oh shit. Like this is, this is where people make real bad mistakes. Mm. And, and I was thinking about, I was like workshopping. How do I, how do I both provide safety and, and not be in this kind of red zone of thought. Mm. And the thought occurred to me to um, unload the gun, put the gun locks on it, put the gun in the safe, lock it up, play my odds. Like, you know, play my odds in the sense that like, what are the odds that someone's going to come to my house for whatever they think I've got? And, and for some reason, man, that like got me complete peace. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I slept like a baby that night. And then I, it really made me think about all of the probably sleepless nights and, and shit like that, that my dad went through worried that somebody was kind of coming after him. This from a man who's yeah. got a gun within arm's length directly behind him. <laughs> <laughs> right there that is a that is a, a non-operating <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i actually have two guns Hip and a <laughs> collection of archer equipment yeah. nearby but they're you know they're all mm -hmm. um not for self-defense or anything yeah. like although that. you also they're secured practice yeah. shooting yeah. your bow and arrow in mm -hmm. your house in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. That's actually pretty common with archers to shoot in the, awesome. home, in the home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. And again, we're back to fear. You know, that yeah, those decisions are driven by fear. Yeah. And, you know, my hope for the book, see how I'm shamelessly, seamlessly going right Please back do. to the plug. Yeah, that's why you're here. Is yeah. that it gives those skills to remove some of that fear. You know, I think, I can't remember which one you said it earlier about you worried because I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. That is yeah. the basis of so much fear. And if instead you can come into a situation with a plan, yeah. Then and then if you practice the plan even better. Uh something I I don't remember whether I read this or I heard this or I saw this recently, but somebody pointed out that the most important self-defense class he had ever taken was he did six months of improv. <laughs> I love improv. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've taken a, a class of improv yeah. too, and it really does help you like build yeah. confidence that mm -hmm. even the wrong word coming out can be the right thing. Mm -hmm. And because you are, you just get used to having to like get on your toes verbally. It's really great. You know, I, th I think that something that can kind of come from this discussion too is, or at least mm. <clears throat> letting go of fear mm. at, a, at an emotional level, not just a mental level, like mm. letting go of it emotionally. I, I suspect changes our experience of life changes what comes into my life mm. in a mysterious way and i this is just mm. something i'm curious about something i've played with something you read a little bit about in in some of the spiritual or psychological texts um and that is that if we let go and we put our attention on something else in a deep way potentially eventually in a subconscious way that we literally bring different things into our life. And I, I think that we hmm. play, we each play a more powerful creative role in our life. And, and that the extent of that is, and the whys of that is somewhat mysterious still, you know, we don't really know what's going on at a certain level at all. You know, that's why some, some people think that we are in a simulation, you know, and then you hear them talk and you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. we don't know what the fuck's mm -hmm. going on. So there's a, there's a mystery. There's an element of mystery yeah. here and you go with intuition and gut. And I've noticed that when I buckle down and I fucking let go of fear and replace it with certainty, with peace, with trust, with uh, faith in the world, I lean on the world at an emotional level. It, yeah shit starts to change you know and i think that the choice that ron you know to remove the guns accessibility in his home the accessibility of guns in his home that's an example that's an outward you know move that's gonna potentially trigger a different emotional experience of, of the world and maybe there would be i can't take it i need the guns back right, fair enough but yeah. if it also might just be like oh oh i didn't need those and it changes and mm. i really really value that level of i guess you would call it inner work you know the outer work yeah. is some of the stuff you're speaking speaking to in this book jason and i'm just personally really fascinated with with some of this inner world work the emotional work yeah. the subconscious work um can you speak a little bit to that and how that how that plays and what your thoughts are on that so this is actually something I, I spent a lot of time with in my late 20s based on, you know, reading the right books at the right time to really get me thinking about uh -huh. it. And what mm -hmm. I came to, what, what I came to at that point is if you go through the world being curious and mindful and grateful, 
your world becomes better. More opportunities show up. You, there's there's yeah. more pretty flowers. The money starts to flow better. All of these things. Now, I don't know if that's because I'm actually physically in some kind of sense manifesting these things into reality or whether they've always been there and you just don't notice them if you're in a darker yeah. headspace. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And and that's I don't right. care. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's because right. Because my yeah. life is better if I do this thing. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah, there's a there's a phrase that that I borrowed from or I stole it from um the AA mm. community I was a part of a long time ago and and that is sometimes we have to act mm. as if it's true. And the it being that we are going to be sober, that we can and we have the ability to. And I and I could not agree more that we don't know if it's some kind of magic switch that we step into and we come with curiosity and and open eyes and presence. Daniel, I've been talking about presence a lot lately, really giving ourselves to this moment right here. Um, and and then suddenly the the things start to appear and flow yeah. begins to happen. Or if it's just because we're we're it's you know we're open to it, I don't care. I act as if both are true. That both mm -hmm. magic is real, and that that I, my participation in it is an ingredient in that magical equation, mm -hmm. and and it feels magical, and therefore feels meaningful to me, and feels good, right? Mm -hmm. Because it 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 like things begin to happen. It feels awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a safety application of this too, because you know there's the the situational awareness tactical crowd with their Cooper yeah. color codes and their head on a swivel <laughs> and all of that, which is exhausting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Truly it is. Yeah. 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 But been, if, yeah, but if you walk through the world, but not to those people, not to the people who yeah. are into it. I, I, I oh, most I, of the, mostly, yeah, it. you have to go home, right. you know, they're into it. They like it. It, get, it feeds a thing, but then yeah. they're tired at the end of the day. It's, it's mm. exhausting. Mm. You know, it's, it takes a lot and I think it makes them a little cranky. But yeah. if you walk through the world aware and mindful and curious, you're going to see the bad guy coming and you're going to see that puppy who wants to cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to see it. And that's a much nicer world. And it's not a more dangerous world because you're still open and mindful and curious. Yeah. And if you're mindful at the same time, you won't mm -hmm. attack the puppy and yeah. you won't try to cuddle the yeah. bad guy. <laughs> or maybe the bad guy, what the bad guy needed was a cuddle. Ron fucking right? cuddled the guy because the guy's going to yeah. come up and probably give him a puppy. With Ron, it's <laughs> no. no. I mean, and maybe that cuddles, you know, kind of slides into a rear naked choke if he needs it. But still, you know, you're going to start with a cuddle. And then that flows into <laughs> a nice chiropractic moment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, um, when I drive, I, mm -hmm. I think about the bad guys out there mm -hmm. and I, and, and my mom taught me my go-to move and, and she taught it to me when I was, you know, learning to drive or something. And I, and I came up in traffic and I, and I like got right behind the bumper into the car in front mm -hmm. of me. She goes, you know, give yourself some space. So if something happens to those cars in front of you and you got to get out, you got to get the car out of the situation you can actually do it. And, and I've thought about that a lot. And I've taught it to my kid, my son who's driving now that sometimes you just need a car length, maybe a car length and a half and, and not that like urgency that I got to get to this place or I've got to, you know, it's a race. And I, and I find myself, um, kind of 
noticing that every time I'm in traffic, like just stopping and being aware that, yeah, maybe the guy, um, his car breaks down or something or, or somebody gets is out of whack, but here's my, here's my route. I've got it kind of planned out in my mind. And, and I've done some other things like that where I've just gotten kits in my car, you know, emergency stuff, you know, so, you know, you mentioned a, a, a something to me last week, Jason, um, about being prepared in the vehicle and, and those kinds of little preparedness things that are, you know, nonviolent having you, you mentioned the, I don't want to steal your, your stuff, but you know, you mentioned having an old pair of shoes in the car in case you just need to be able to walk around and not in dress shoes. And, and sometimes just having those little things together can yeah. really begin to hit the pressure valve, release the pressure valve of all the anxiety of the what ifs and the bad guys and the bad situations, all that kind of you stuff. Know, two quick, two things real quick, Ron. First, I, I, I'm fairly certain that there's a, that it's the law to have three seconds. At least this is what I learned when I was a kid learning to drive mm. three. It's not an amount, amount of space. Cause it depends on how fast yeah. you're going. Yeah. But like three seconds of time between the car in front of you and you. Yeah. And I follow yeah. that pretty decently and I will be damn man. People ride up on my ass because they think mm-hmm. I'm going too slow. And it's like, dude, three. And I don't, I'm not Nazi about this yeah. at all. I fuck up on it all the time, mm-hmm. but I noticed that when I do do the, when I do do the three seconds mm-hmm. that people behind me are like, dude, fucking go. And they'll cut in front of me, <laughs> you know, to get into my three second space. And then I got to do more three seconds from them. <laughs> it's kind of a fuck cluster. Secondly, yeah. one of the most, probably one of the most dangerous experiences, potential experiences I ever had in my life came from doing what you just said. I carry a gas can in the back of my car um, Mm. for myself and potentially for others. And it was late at night one time and going over to my girlfriend's house at the time. And there was a dude on the side of the road broke down and I was like, fuck it. I stopped and he goes, yeah, I'm out of gas. I was like, I got a gas can. Let's go. So he jumps in the car and immediately I was like, whoa, I let the wrong dude in my car because he was <laughs> sketchy, man. And I was like, what's going on with you? And he goes, I just got out of jail. I was like, okay, cool. And then it was just awkward silence and tense. And I was like, dude, I think this guy is deciding whether or not he wants to like, it just had that feel. It totally had that. Yeah. Feel. Yeah. But we were cool. And I was chatting him up and we were chatting and I was like, I, you know, yeah, I'm doing a nice thing for him. And I swear to God, man, that we went to the gas station, we got gas, got brought him all the way back. And I feel like the whole time that we were driving, he was like deciding whether or not, you know, it, this, this was the guy that he was going to take advantage of in some way. And I let him up and I was like, I told my girlfriend what happened. Cause I was late. And she just goes, you, she said something to the effect of, you know, you, you shouldn't have done. <laughs> don't, don't, please don't do that again. And I was like, I think she's right, you know, but I don't really know. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. what, if you were like in that situation, you stop to help someone. Do you feel like pretty confident that you can read the situation and be like, actually, no, I need to get out of here. So um, my confidence in reading the situation is 80, 80% maybe, but that is at this point in my life, that's why I continue to train in martial arts. You know, it's not so I can win a bar fight anymore. It's not for my health, really. Although, you know, a good BJJ workout will help my cardio. But I like that I can go offer help to that person on the side of the road. I like Mm -hmm. that I can walk to two frat boys about to make a stupid mistake in the bar I'm drinking in and calm it down. And and I like that about me. And training in the martial arts continue to get better at violence you know, to the point where there's, it was a few years back that I realized through a couple of unwise situations I got in that 
for the most part, and with exceptions abound, one person without a weapon, I don't have to hurt them. I can not only keep myself from being hurt, I don't have to hurt them in the process. Yeah. Right? And I like that. And that's for me. And I, I wouldn't for a second say that everybody else should do that. But it's one of my strongest motivators for training at this point, that I can take that risk because I have a margin for error mm-hmm. that not everybody does. And I think that's a, kind of the point that you were at, too, is that with, a, you know, you park so you can see the bottoms of the tires in front of you so your car can get around. You yeah. have the emergency kit. You have your boogie bag. You have a, a week or so with the food in the kitchen, you know, in the pantry yeah. to create yeah. that margin for error that lets you survive when things get a little sketchy. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you're uh, the thing you were talking about with the guns earlier too, where in a house of the child, the margin for error when using a firearm is very slim and children introduce immense amounts of error and chaos. So maybe, maybe not have that by the bed when you got a five-year-old running around because you need a wider margin for error to feel safe and secure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But get the samurai sword instead, dude. Yeah, you know, you know what I keep? I have yeah. I have a, a Theraband <laughs> tube of rubber, that's nice. this big that I that I use to exercise my forearms, like mm. twisting opposite twisting motions, and it looks <laughs> enough like a phallic device, and it's and it like wobbles <laughs> that if I were to pull that thing out on somebody, they would just run immediately yeah. it's so intimidating I i'm just, gonna get my ass beat by a dildo i am out of- i just imagine that you have that you create recreated a, a to the detail the scene in pulp fiction where bruce willis is in the pawn shop and he's like deciding which way he wants like right behind your bed <laughs> just like, do i want to defend no. myself with a chainsaw or <laughs> i thought you were going to talk about that i think it's uh snatch where one guy gets beat up by beat the the big black dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's either Snatch or the other one. Um, I think it's the other Lock, one. Stock, and Two, Lock, Smoking, and two Barrels. Smoking Barrels. Both yeah. excellent films. Really yeah. good. Yeah. You know what I've got so for my this bedtime? Book for? Oh, so Go ahead. Oh, so what I've got for my bedtime security these days is yeah. uh those newer one of those newer LED flashlights. It's got like 10,000 lumens. Totally, yeah. That comes into my dark bedroom too. and I hit him with that. Hmm. I've got 30 mm-hmm. seconds. And yeah. 30 seconds is enough time for my wife to kick his ass, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just and you because in that dim room, that sudden brilliance changes things. There's actually a video online where a guy tested that theory as a kickboxing instructor and mm. had a guy go at him with a round, you had all gloves up and try to get him, and he just and the guy was taking big swings where he wasn't even standing anymore. Mm. And this is an mm. experience, this is a pro fighter. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've I've got a few of those laying around mm. set so that when you turn them on, it goes mm. straight into the flashing. Yeah, like give you epilepsy, you know, ultra bright thing, and the, mm. and and that was my suspicion that like mm. at least it's gonna confuse the shit out of somebody. Yeah, for, you know, giving me enough time to do something like lock the door or mm. you know lock hit the him door, with my rubber, leave the house, beat him with a dildo, <laughs> yeah. whatever works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so who's who's this book for? Like, if you could, if you could, um, is this for parents? Is this for people who travel a lot? Who's this for? So this book is for yeah. This book's for everybody. Everybody can benefit from the information in this book. Yeah. But what I'm pretty certain is going to be the people who read it the most are people who are concerned about security, mm-hmm. people who are studying martial arts. Hopefully. Um, it's going to end up being a you know something that people recommend when they're training people for security positions. 
hopefully it's going to be cool. maybe even a textbook in some courses. Yeah. But the people who are going to want it the most are the people who are concerned about protecting themselves and protecting the people they love. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it expands the conversation because there's not a lot of resources about this out there in the literature for martial arts and literature for self-defense and even mm. less in the depiction of martial arts and self-defense in the um, overall media. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I wish I'd had this book, but my wife and I travel a ton. We've been all over the world together. And there's been some instances where I've, I've been in places where I didn't know how safe we were. And um, one particular time in Naples, Italy, which is, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't believe how unsafe that place is, go, go read the world fact book that the CI puts out on each of the travel locations and, and read what it says. Um, which I didn't read it till I got there. And I was like, Oh shit, (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a bad place. And we had just had our car broken into, they cloned, they cloned our, uh, fob Mm. and, um, there's a whole system. They do it there and they cloned the fob, stole about $10,000 worth of electronics, cameras, computers, you know, all that stuff, passports, passports gone. And so we were already in a super high alert, really high alert, uh, Mm. uh, uh, frame, you know, mind, mind frame. And, and I kind of, I was like, man, I wish, you know, now thinking about it, like if I had had a few, you know, a few more, um, pieces of information, understanding around this, I probably would feel way better. It would have felt way, way better. And that's, that's, that's cool. definitely the hope. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Uh, well, how can we participate in the Kickstarter? Like where can people go? Like what's, what's the, the next step for folks? Yeah. So I'll make sure you guys have the links to put in the show notes, but we're on nice. Kickstarter right now with a preview page where you can click a little button and be signed up cool. to get, to get the updates. And I've got some previews and some early adopter bonuses that I'm definitely going to be rolling out. Uh, the Kickstarter itself goes live on February 22nd. And that's when you can first pre-order the book. And I've got options to just buy the book, got options to buy a couple of books for like a book club. If you run a bookstore or a martial arts store, gun shop, any business that surrounds safety, uh, I've got some deals in there where you can get wholesale pricing and then some some advertising and marketing uh, benefit as well, things like that. And then at the top level, we're actually doing that thing. On Kickstarter, it's often good to do like a very expensive thing that gives you a lot of cool stuff. And so for a thousand bucks, I'll come out to your business, your PTA, your Cub Scout meeting or whatever, and I'll do a two hour seminar and with at a Q&A uh, specializing, you know, kind of focusing the general knowledge in the book Amazing. to yeah. your needs. That's really cool. That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, well, thank you for that. I'm going to, oh. I'm going to go participate in that Kickstarter. I, I'm, I'm impressed with what you do and appreciate it. And, uh, I always get something every time we talk. I really appreciate you, Jason. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Thanks, gentlemen. You. Thanks so much. It's always good to see you guys. All so, right. See you right. next time, man. Can't Take wait care, to guys. hang out with you soon. Take yeah, care. Bye-bye. Field dressing, <clears throat> episode fifty. Jason Brick, and Field there it was. Nothing happened. Kickstarter. <laughs> what? That's the title of his uh, his oh. project. <laughs> I thought that was a comment Dumbass. on the podcast. It's like <laughs> no. okay, self loathing. <laughs> That's funny. Ron is a dick. I uh, you know I when he and I talked about the project before we had him on and. 
it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, I, I ran my father-in-law's uh, small manufacturing business for five years and we made, um, we made money carrying products for the armored car industry. Yeah. And that is a job that is not, not the job I had, but the armored car world that is endlessly tediously boring until it's not. Hmm. And it goes from like bored, you know, boredom and tedium to, holy shit, there's a fire on a submarine and we're 3,000 feet under the surface of the, you know, the ocean. And is that, is that, is that not boring part, the driving, the actual Yeah, the driving, driving and just walking in, picking up the money and walking out and, and. Because that's when every robbery happens. Yeah. Well, it turns out, I mean, I, there's a, there's a really interesting um, report that the FBI does every year on bank robberies. Yeah. And a giant the overwhelming majority of those robberies are just inside jobs from armored carriers and, and oh. bank employees and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's really fun. It's public. You can go look it up anytime and you can go Google the year and, and all that stuff and find so it. So most of those robberies happen from the dude, dudes or the people driving the car and yeah. guarding it. And Yeah, yeah. It huh. happened here in Oregon about seven, eight years ago, like a father and son. The father, the father realized he had a route with a few million dollars of cash on there, and he played. He tried to play the long game and got his son hired on, his adult son, and they, um, you know, tried to do a little bit of a, a heist situation where they just parked the car off route, opened up the back, and and said they got robbed, and uh, and they, I think they would have gotten away with it. But the other funny thing about the the percentage of robberies that happen from employees is of that percentage the highest percentage of that portion, everybody buckles under guilt. Like they can't handle the guilt of having done what they did and they mm. end up admitting to it or they make a huge mistake because they're so scared of what happened. Mm. One of my favorite stories was a guy who um, got away with like tens of millions of dollars in cash and hides it and then, and then takes a little bit of money and goes to Mexico. And he's, you know, trying to uh, uh, hide out in a bar and he's sitting at a bar and a guy sits down next to him and they start talking and the guy looks at him and goes, you look like you just robbed a bank. And I guess whatever, like cracks. fear is on his face. And that was the exact phrase. And the guy immediately fessed up to it because he thought the guy was law enforcement. Oh. He thought he was like, you know, an FBI agent or whoever, oh, you no. know, and then, and like, that was his undoing. I'm not, I'm not trying to like condone, you know, stealing or anything. Oh but like... yeah, you are. I know you. you fucking, <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. What happened with the father and son? Oh, they got caught. I mean, the son oh, buckled said... so fast. The, the, he was like 22, 23 years old. Oh, and, and interrogation. yeah, I mean, it was like the most obvious things like, Hey, you guys are in charge of the money. Where were you? Why didn't this why didn't you show up on time and all that stuff? So you, you really, 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 I feel this in my bones need to write a book someday that is around a heist. You got to hmm. get it out, man. It's either that or, or actually go do a heist. One or two things is going <laughs> to happen in your life and it's all going to equal you pulling the trigger on a heist. <laughs> write it or do it. It's up to you. I, you know, the, I, I, uh, I, I think every, a lot of us love a good heist, you know, Story. Yeah, but 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 all of us don't 
on a daily basis, walk around coming up with plans. Like, well, you, look, you dude, need to write it. Dude. You know, you mentioned you mentioned at the beginning of the um, of this conversation with Jason uh, about like the conversation that you had in your head about that you were frustrated with somebody last night. Yeah. You did violence in your mind, Got and you. I, and and dude, I have I have a mind that loves to make up conflict. Yeah, you're a writer. Thank you, appreciate that, and. Um, and it needs probably does need to come out. I'm writing a great scene right now in my, in my book where it's like an old man like goes whole hog on some violence, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> You're a natural storyteller, and the the con the part of you that comes up with conflict, you know, that's a key ingredient to writing good stories. Mm. You know, and um, I I just I see that in you and believe that. And then reading your writing, I was like, oh, okay, it all makes sense. But I also appreciate you say you bringing up that little bit about. Um, about uh, doing violence in my head. Cause I don't do that often, but yeah, that also might be a little bit of an artist uh, creative. Uh, I'm not misexpressed or uh, misguided, but because I do think it's important and it's okay for people to go to places in their head that are dark. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the place to do it. You know, you don't yeah. act on it. And uh, yeah, it's a weird thing because like uh, I've talked to a lot of guys, even a couple of pastors who talk about, you know, these are guys who are supposed to be completely nonviolent and like mm -hmm. loving and all that stuff. But they uh, one guy described it as like scenario. What did he say? He said like playing out the scenarios in his head of protecting his family mm. and 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 you kind of have to like imagine the worst case scenario and. And I, and I've told this story before. I think one of our very earliest podcasts when uh, I just got my yellow belt in martial arts, and which uh, which my first karate teacher in high school said said a yellow belt is when you feel like you're the toughest guy on the block, but could not punch your way out of a paper bag, and and I had never forgot that when he said that to me. But uh, my wife and I was my wife was pregnant. We went to a Las Vegas show. There was a circus going on. There was tightrope walkers with no net. And it was two guys walking with a another pole uh, balanced on a harness on their shoulders. So there was a pole between two tightrope walkers. You following me? Dude, I've heard. I love this story. And on the pole was another few people on the pole, like another group of people. And you could tell that this trick was not ready for public consumption yet and Whoa, they were all really yeah they were it was like it was like this was like kind of before their big grand opening this was like their soft opening for the show <laughs> this is the dress rehearsal holy shit man and my brain was like it's about like something is about to happen and my my eyes are doing the math of like where they are where we are and and i could feel all of the you know like training like come online and and sure enough, they fell, and the, and it was like they were mangling themselves oh, on the wires. No net. And no net, dude. No net. And 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 they're tossing the equipment. I think there was a fucking chair on the pole too. Like it was like mini poles because everyone had a pole, a chair, this other thing that there was like the pole between them. And one of the poles bounced off the wires and was coming through the crowd. And, um, and one pole hit a guy in front of me, smacked him in the face and I jumped up and the next pole that came down, I caught it right before it hit my wife in her pregnant belly. And, and it was like, <laughs> you know, like 
one of my proudest moments, man. What definitely one of my proudest moments. I just feel like one day you're gonna come to me, Ron, and you're gonna go, okay. Remember the story about the homeless dude who I made him breakfast, <laughs> and remember the story about the pole, you know, with my pregnant. Okay, I have a lying problem. <laughs> 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 the funny part about that is my dad was i mean you've seen the movie big fish right yes yeah which is a story which is a movie about yeah. a guy who has these crazy stories that all end up being like kind of true and and there's like a percentage of truth and percentage of of storytelling i mean my dad was like the king of big fish stories dude i had a friend about eight years ago mm. do that he came he came Are you out serious to, i'm not kidding but he admitted to it yeah really close friend Ron. yeah really close yeah and he calls up in tears and is like hey i gotta tell you something i tell a lot of lies wow and he's a storyteller and he has a lot of crazy stories and that you know after that i was like you know everyone was like grateful and yeah it took a lot of courage for sure and after that you know i gotta admit like i don't really know what to believe you know I don't know if it stopped, you know, we don't really talk about it, but it's a thing, you know, and even on this, even, I don't have this in me where I like to like embellish too much, Yeah, but there's a proper amount of embellishment. Like, you know, take the liberty, tell a story and and like, you know, round off the the corners a little bit and put a little, you know, little fairy dust on it. Mark Twain, that thing, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Definitely. definitely. I mean, I'm there's, it's in a matter of degree. So sure. Of course, you know, your wife wasn't pregnant. I know she wasn't pregnant. (laughs) I wasn't married. She wasn't my wife, (laughs) (laughs) but I wasn't uh, even at a circus. This was a playground. (laughs) I actually no, that was a total lie. I was walking one day and I came up with this story, (laughs) story. but I do, I do want to say one more thing about, about, uh, about that, like letting our mind go to places that uh, is violent or, you know, there's a few things that could happen there. One is, you know, I like that topic of conversation because one person, someone might say, well, you're manifesting that you're, you're creating. Totally. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Fine. Let's put that aside. Mm -hmm. Another person might say, well, that's your art. You got to get some energy out. You know, you got, you're creative and that's being, you know, that's misguided creativity. Okay, cool. Let's put out, put that over there. And another one is you're expressing and shaking the duck feathers of it. You're allowing yourself to go there. That's shadow work. That's good. You're letting your shadow live in some way that is safe, you mm-hmm. know, so I, all of that's on the table. I think it's all valid. But for me, when I do that, the takeaway I noticed from, from that experience yesterday was that I was like, whoa, that was kind of fucked up. Mm. That's a you like, what's going on, Daniel? And yeah. I, I realized after that little contemplating, I was like, I know when I'm angry with other people and I take things out on other people, I know that's usually because I'm not taken care of in some way or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, then I spent another, you know, chunk of time just being like, okay, dude, like, totally. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good question. What do you need? I mean, that's kind of the, the Steve Barnes question to the, to the guy who was trying to mug him. (laughs) Right. Like, what do you, what do you really need? Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, exactly. Because I know these people, even the people that I feel angry toward, it's like they're really sweet, good-hearted people. You know what I mean? Totally. They're, yeah. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. what, what do you, what do you want, man? What do you need? And then let's address that in any yeah. way we possibly can. That's a good one. I, I, that's a lesson to me because my brain will will 
um, default sometimes into creating conflict in my mind, pra- practicing the argument, practicing the, the screaming at each other, practicing the the violence that is inevitably going to come. And and this is like while well, I'm walking my dog or washing the yeah. dishes. or, or And like, if it becomes that regular, yeah. then you are. I believe that's when now you yeah. are creating potentially. Yeah, totally. And I'm going to, uh, that's a great question to ask. Like, what do I really need right now? Like what's going on with me that I, that, I'm projecting this like sense of insecurity and it's and my brain needs to deal with it. That's why it's coming up. It feels something. And, and there are these situations that need to deal with the brain's trying to figure it out. There's a, I, I don't know if I've said this here or not. I talked to, to my dudes, my coaching clients a lot. And, and that is our brain. It has a certain amount of things. It's, it's like trying to figure out whether we know it or not. And they figure this out by doing a study with amnesiacs, people who cannot remember the day before. And every single day is a new day. Every day, this caretaker has to tell them your name, you know, who they are, what's going on. And they, what they did was they uh, wanted to see, and some of them dream like quite a lot. They can remember the dream from the night before, but they can't remember the day before. So they, they got them to all play Tetris by the end of the day. And then the next day they asked them what they were dreaming about. And a huge amount of them talk, talked about seeing shapes falling and needing to arrange them. And, and the point of the study was how much of our subconsciousness, a subconscious is trying to find a solution to something that's bothering us. And we need to give it bandwidth to do that. And I think that question is, is like a cheat code to quickly, you know, to, to speeding up that process. I'm, I don't know if it is cheat code, but it sounds like it is to really just begin to question like, what's going on here? What do I need to really think about? Well, that's the thing too, is it takes work and it takes some time. So much work, like, yeah. Like if you and I were challenged, like someone forced us, all right, Daniel and Ronald, you need to spend the next hour asking each other what you really need right now for yeah. like today. Yeah. And I want you to come up with five answers, you know, every 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, as you're forced to like pull layers back. Well, what yeah. do I really know? What do I need under that? Oh, because one need leads to another need needs to another need a lot yeah. of time. And I was even just thinking about a little bit too, like what would some of my answers be? And I think that actually might mm. be a cool little challenge as we sign off too, is like, yeah. you and I are both kind of living bachelor lives right now. Your wife is in Spain, you know, and my wife, I don't know yet. She's on her way. She's coming to you. <laughs> no, She's hearing this and she hears the call. She's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not looking to, um, I, uh, well, what happened? Um, so I think that, you know, you and I have an opportunity, you know, to maybe provide our needs a little bit more than someone who's way, way overwhelmed with, you know, you work your job, but you don't work for somebody else. Yeah. Your wife's gone. Um, you have a little, it's the, the weekend is starting. Yeah. So like, I would be curious man, what, if you had to come up with like three mm. answers of what you need today, maybe mm-hmm. even, not, not right after this, but like today, something yeah. you normally wouldn't do, like what yeah. would you come up with, you know? Hmm. Are you asking me to answer that? Yeah. Why not? If hmm. you're up for it. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I try to spend every morning with that, with, I wouldn't phrase it like that, but it's basically what that is. I know you're good at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, God, I'm good at it now because of how like discombobulated I felt for decades of my life. And and it felt like I was the pinball in the pinball machine just getting bounced around like hoping I'd hit go go through the right place. And and for me 
you know, to answer that question as honestly as I can in this moment, I need structure. I need a plan and I need like, um, time. I don't want to call them deadlines, but like, like I need to do this and this and this within a certain time or at a certain time I need to stop and recalibrate myself. And is that really what you need? Well, let's assume it is, but what else? Yeah. Um, I need to know my kids are safe. My wife is safe. Do you? It brings great comfort to me to know they are. No, I mean, do do, do you feel that way? <laughs> are they safe? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Does that I mean met? Well, that's, meet, that needs met. I'm talking about the, un, unmet needs. Oh, man, unmet needs. I mean... I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I am going, pa- I'm swimming past the depths of the surface level things, right? Like my, <laughs> yeah, my first brain is like, exactly. I need three new clients. I need like, da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, okay. Let's like, <laughs> let's like go down deeper. Right. Like I need a, a million dollar check to show up at the door. Like I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, like, those are uh, valid. Yeah. I need to, you know, someone asked me years ago, like what, what if the worst case scenario happens in your life? Yeah. Are you going to be okay? And I was at coffee with this guy and I was going through some shitty things in my life. And he's like, he's like, you need to play the tape forward and, and, and prepare for that outcome. That the thing that you fear the most. And I, and I have since then really dedicated myself to, to deciding every single day that no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to take care of myself. Like Steve Barnes said on the, the podcast that my inner child needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah. that I am going to fight tooth and nail. He had an even better metaphor. I can't remember exactly what it was. Moment. Yeah. That, that in other words, we create our own sense of safety and that takes a long time. You know, you said it earlier, like it takes a really long time to learn how to do that. And I think, um, what do I need today? I, at some point in the day, I need to hug my kids and my dog. We do a family hug. I can say, if I say the phrase family hug, the family like, like comes. <laughs> family to, hug. Yeah. It's here. It's like kind of our like call to action. Like oh, my, my family, awesome. the whole Power family, like we, we like meet wherever and my dog runs in and she gets in the middle and she jumps oh up in, inside us. It's awesome, man. And that is like, mm. man, I don't, there's not much that feels better than that to me. Like just the, the the contact and proximity of my family hmm. and knowing that we're all together. What do you need, Daniel? Um, well, some answers that are kind of coming up uh, hmm. are <clears throat> about like 30% of the self-imposed stress to just suddenly disappear, <laughs> which is possible. Yeah. That's just, and okay. So haha, but let's say that's true. Good. How do you do that? Go yeah. lie down in the sun and do some fucking letting go, some work. Get yeah. get your priorities straight. It's it's not yeah. actually not impossible or hard. I also would love to play, you know, like hmm. physically. My body's in a really good place. Yeah. Healthy. But the physical things I do are like stretching and hot yoga and lifting. You know, it's all it's not fun, you know. Like remember yesterday. What's play I told, look like for you? Yesterday I told you I'm gonna reward myself after a good week 
with a hot yoga class. And then yeah. I went to hot yoga and I was, it's hard, you know, I really work in there. And I'm just Why like, you hate okay. yourself so much. I know, man. It's like, okay, I appreciate that this is part of a reward, but yeah. also like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, t- I heard your voice message when you got out, you sounded like you'd just been beat the, beat the hell, man. It feel good. I like it. It is a reward, yeah. but it's not the whole yeah. reward. Like today, another reward comes. I don't know. I like to play ping pong. I like to play basketball, you know, I like to play, yeah. I, I don't even remember because I spend all my physicality on, you know, keeping my body maintained right. so I can run my life and yeah. you know, have a good painting career and the physical physicality of moving around and feeding myself and blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't play anymore. Man. Mm. Play, physically play man, bear that, cub. Yeah, it is. It's, it's uh man, I'm glad you're bringing that up. I, I know we could keep talking for a long time about this stuff, but that, gosh, let's yeah, indulge yeah. in that for just a moment about play that, that thing that is like, it feels so extravagant, doesn't it? You know what sounds good yeah. is fucking playing video games. I used to play <laughs> video games when I was a kid yeah. and I loved them. And yeah. I haven't played a fucking video game mm. in decade. What feels like decade. I'm sure there's been a little moment here where I was on my yeah. computer, but I mean like the thing that most of people seem, you know, pe- people seem to be addicted to. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have that in my life at all. And I used to have when I was a kid and it's so expansive, like playing Zelda or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. that just sounds so fun. And I, I don't do that anymore. And I don't, mm. I'm not addicted to stuff like that. I could have a really healthy relationship with that shit like that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I don't know if I could say what I know play is in my life. Like for a while it was, I mean, if I'm not real yeah. honest, like Good call. probably the closest might be these conversations or, or, I had a, you know, I went on a run yes, yesterday morning, I can't remember, with my dog and, and up to a certain hill in my neighborhood. And that feels kind of playful, you know, it was fun, enjoyable in a certain way. But man, like it's, but it's also like, I didn't get up because I'm like, I want to go have a good time running. <laughs> like, like it, it felt like a, a job well done, but, but I, I, that's a good question. I'll be asking myself that, like, what does play look like in my life? I appreciate that you said it could be in these conversations. Sex, sex, some sense yeah. sexuality can be playful, you know, but I guess playful can be in any way. That's like a mentality, but there's also just physical play. Like yeah. it's rough house. Or I love yeah. basketball, man. Play baseball. You just yeah. play baseball as a kid. How the fuck does an adult play baseball? You know? Yeah. Go to a I've batting a, cage. That's dude, I've fun. got a, 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 a friend I went to college with named Brett Marshall. I'm, and he is championing these um, adult league baseball teams all over the country. I love it. I love it. And they they have jerseys. They have like they they go they go all in, and it looks so fun. And I'm like I'm so proud of him for like pushing that culture and, yeah. and getting it out there. Like we need that. I mean, everybody needs oh, that yeah. feeling of play and contact. That's like non sexual and 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 like bringing in that kind of childhood childlike feeling of playback and yeah. I've been a part of a kickball league in the, in my past a, a friend of mine is is still in one like there's some cool that stuff that sounds fun yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. when the PE when they'd be like okay you don't know what you're going to do yet and then they'd be like we're doing kickball just like yes <laughs> honest, man. you know one of the ways I play these days and this is actually really fun yeah is I turn all the lights off in my house mhm and I put on music and I dance I very explore exploratively like like hippies would dance. Oh, I love it. And I don't want anyone to ever see me. But what <laughs> comes out is actually not. It's actually a really cool animalistic. There's like jazz because I have jazz and blues dance. And so yeah. there's like jazz vernacular in there. And there's just like animalistic body movement because I yeah. get really low because I'm trying to get into my joints and just like yeah. 
uh, explore mobility. And then, and that's like, what happens is like, actually, I wouldn't mind if people saw this, you know, it's because this feels good. And I, yeah. feel good. you know, maybe I'll do that today. Maybe I'll do, all that, do that today. I love that. I, I think you probably had inspired me around that kind of thing. Cause I, I've been making a playlist that like makes me feel good, like dumps the yeah. endorphins oh, yeah. in my mind every time. And I'll, I'll listen to it different times. And I, and, and the place where it feels the best is when I'm walking in my neighborhood <laughs> and I allow myself to dance as much as I want to I'll, I'll, always in the dark, always late at night. Cause I, you know, feel shame still. And, but shit, dude, like it feels good as hell. Like I get you do that out and about you'll dance on the streets. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Man. Yeah. I'm not a good dancer. But it feels good, my body, man. It feels so good to like. That's a good. It's like when the body and the emotions line up, and and there's joy to it. I think about how I would live my life if I really didn't care, and it was like a holodeck on Star Trek or something. (laughs) No. Yeah. And it and I, God, dude, I would dance and sing so much more. I would be Mm. a different person, man. Isn't that sad? Ah, I think that's such a like. I feel like deathbed stuff, you know, like how do I want to live on my deathbed? It would be more and more, ever more toward holodeck mentality. I'm serious. In the summertime, there's a guy in my neighborhood who brings a full size keyboard and speaker to the park. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Full size. I'm like, that thing looks heavy as hell. And he plays for hours. And cool. it like you can hear it from blocks away and he's not busking. He's just playing. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think about the thing you said the other day. I don't know if you said on the podcast or where you said it, but you're like, every, I, if I could snap my fingers and a couple things could happen on earth, one would be a, <laughs> a piano in every house. Piano in every house. And it was actually on my run the other night where, or morning, it was like pre dawn run. And I was running by some condo and I could see a baby grand piano in the window. And, nice. and I was thinking about you with that. Like, that, there's a little bit of joy in that person's life. At least I hope so. You know, I hope it's not drudgery. I hope it's great. Ah, well said, man. Well, yeah. I guess, uh, uh, you know, today, personally, my day is a crush it day. Today is like a day I don't have painting stuff and I just have my list that I create for the day. But on that list, you know, at the end of that list, I think I need to I need to reward myself with something more than than fucking hot yoga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. You're like, oh, <laughs> this is so Gosh. hard, man. It is so hard. It is so hard. Yeah. Anyways, well done hey, for doing that. Hey, I good to see you doing this. Thanks for the, thanks for the attention. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for introducing me to Jason. I mean, he's, he is, uh, uh, I know in the future, like I'll look back on my relationship with him, particularly around my writing career as like a seminal moment, you know, one of those like primary relationships. Really? Yeah. He, he instills a deep sense. I didn't, I didn't get this about him at first. It took a mm. long time for me to appreciate who he was. And it took going to his home yeah. and, and seeing him parent, you know, he's an autistic kid and mm. adoptive son. And I was like, dude, this guy has got his priorities straight man. and he's got a huge fucking heart. I, I took a picture of him the last time mm. we all did a party. I took it. He was sitting in a chair while all of us were talking, having this great conversation about stories, mm. right? about all the different stories, um, worlds that uh, come from different books and which ones we would mm. want to live in. You mm. Know? Mm. And he, and I looked at him and he had this, I'll send you the picture. He yeah. had this, this look on his face that was so at peace oh. and so grateful yeah. and so proud in that best way. I was just like, this guy is, he's, he's on the nice list. 
<laughs> in the best way possible. Yeah. It was cool, man. It was tear jerking. It was beautiful. He's that's a, he's awesome. That's really funny. That's I'm mean, not funny as like laughing, but like that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thanks All for right. putting this together. Can't <laughs> wait to see you. Love you. Adios. Talk to you soon. Adios. <laughs>